0: soundly so right now our listeners get 30% off headspace's entire library of meditations just go to headspace.com sleep for 30% off your subscription but only until may 12th this is the best deal offered right now head to headspace.com sleep pod today this episode of the podcast might be the most important episode ever recorded and the reason i say that is because it affects your mindset it affects your mental health it can affect the other people around you too. Our special guest today, Michael Hyatt, who's been on the show before, loves talking about something called the double win. What is the double win? The double win is this idea that you can win at work and succeed at life. And within the world of entrepreneurship especially, whether you're just starting out or you've been doing this for a while, you know that there's a constant balancing act with relation to what you do and when and how it involves all the parts of you from the personal side and the things that happen there to the work side and the things that happen over there. And Michael Hyatt's coming out with this new book called Win at Work, Succeed at Life, who he's co-authored this with with his daughter. It's just an amazing read. It's one of those ones that when you read it, especially if you have kids, but you know even if you don't, but Michael and Megan are so great as a pair of, of writers here. The Five Principles to Free Yourself from the Cult of Overwork, There are some things mentioned in this episode that were really surprising to me. Some stuff that Michael does with his team, some stuff that he does personally to help him and his team give themselves the best chance to succeed. Again, at both work and at life. And if there's one thing that, if you've ever heard me talk about Michael Hyatt before, you know that I admire him, not just because of his success as a businessman, but because of his success as a father and a husband. And we get into that as well and I'm very much so much appreciative of his time today to share not just with me but with all of you the principles that we could use to get out of that feeling that things are always with tension and we can have some sense of balance. Now there are myths around balance as well that we'll discuss but this is the episode that you need to listen to right now. So make sure you stick around, here we go. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, his go-to breakfast is a breakfast taco, Pat Flynn. What's up, everybody? Pat Flynn here, and welcome to session 475 of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. Wow, that's a lot of podcasts. And we've touched on these kinds of topics before with relation to work and life at home and how those things work together. I've been sharing that journey with you ever since I started to the point where I had kids and that changed everything to the point where the kids started going to school and that changed everything. Things always seem to change. But the cool thing about principles are that it doesn't matter what happens really. The principles will always remain the same. And we're gonna talk about certain principles to free yourself from the cult of overwork, something that can burn you out, and perhaps even like some friends of mine who've been on the show before, who have shared these stories about burnout and overwhelm, end up in the hospital. We don't want that to happen, obviously, either. So let's just dive right into this episode with Michael Hyatt, a leader of leaders, one of my virtual and you know virtually online mentors, but just honestly, One of my best friends. I I absolutely love spending time with Michael. He and I have gone fishing together. His wife, Gail, just has welcomed me into their home. They're just so amazing. And if you wanna check out this book, you can go to winandsucceedbook.com slash SPI. We'll talk more about the links later, but let's just dive right in. Here's Michael Hyatt. Michael, welcome back to the Smart Passive Income podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pat. Always a joy to be on. And you're back with yet another amazing book, with an amazing title, and it seems like you're just churning them out like crazy. How, I just need to know, <laughs> how far in advance do you have these books planned? And, and what, like, are you writing every day? It's just, you're a machine.
1: Yeah, well, I, I do write almost every day, but usually we've, we're planning three years in advance. So right now we're working on the book that'll be out three years from now. So it takes that long because the publisher wants them um, a year in advance and by the time you do all the research, the interviews for case studies, all that kind of stuff it just just takes time. But we've we've got it down to a well-oiled machine now and I've got a great content team that helps.
0: That's amazing. And 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 part of the reason why I'm asking is because this book literally is about work-life balance. And so for me on the outside seeing somebody like you who is both you know, a machine when it comes to the content that you're creating and the amazing work that you're doing, plus I see you You know, out on the lake with your family or going on vacation or doing these things together. It's just, how do you do it? And I know you've answered these questions in in the book, but from a high level, I'd love your thoughts on just this idea of work-life balance, something that all of us entrepreneurs starting or even those who've been in it for a while always are thinking about. It just seems like a never-ending battle.
1: It does. And I mean, I had all but given up on it. There was a point in my career where I just said, just not possible. And Gail and I sort of entered into this pact where I would man the fortress you know, at work, and she would hold the home front. And, you know, occasionally we'd see each other. But back in the year, about 2001, I got my dream job. I was hired as the general manager for one publishing division for Thomas Nelson Publishers. It was their book publishing division. And at the time, Thomas Nelson Publishers was the seventh largest publisher in the U.S. But this division they gave me responsibility for was dead last in every important metric. So it had the slowest growth. It was the least profitable, worst return on assets. Divisional morale was terrible, all that stuff. So the CEO said, how long is it going to take you to turn this division around? And I didn't really have a clue, but I pulled a number out of the air. And I said, I think three years. And he said, okay, that sounds reasonable. You got it. So I went back, shared the vision with the team. We rolled up our sleeves, got to work. I was Pat, I was working 70 to 80 hours a week, every night, almost all the weekend, during vacations, the whole thing. But it finally paid off. So not in three years, but in a year and a half, we, we turned that division around. We went from number 14 to number one, fastest growing, most profitable. Team morale was fantastic. I got the biggest bonus check I'd ever received, which was larger than my annual salary. So I couldn't wait to get home to share it with my wife, Gail. And I thought she would be elated. She's always been super supportive. But, but when I shared it with her, I got home, walked through the door, shared it with her. And she just was a little less than her enthusiastic self. And so she looked at me and she said, We need to talk. And I mean, I just kind of had that knowing sense that this wasn't going to go well. So we walked into the den, we sat down, and she said, You know, I love you. And I appreciate so much all that you do for our family. But I got to be honest. She said, You're never home. And your five daughters need you. Well, that was a gut kick. And she was right. And then she said, Even when you are home, you're not really here. And I thought, that's true, if I'm honest. And then she said the worst thing of all, she started to cry a little bit. And she said, Honestly, I feel like a single mom. Jeez. Well, that just slew me. That hits. It killed me. Because you know, I I thought I was killing it. But and I thought I'd really reached the summit in my career. But what I discovered was that it was a false summit. And, And I think most entrepreneurs, most business leaders when they get to that that point they're faced with what i now call the impossible choice you can either win at work or you can succeed at life you can't do both pick one and unfortunately pat you know this from dealing with so many entrepreneurs you know we have an entire culture today of overwork where it's esteemed it's validated it's held up as sort of the model we have you know great entrepreneurs phenomenal entrepreneurs like elon musk you know, who touts working 100 hours a week. And if you can do that, you can bury your competition. You know, and meanwhile, he's gone through two marriages and by his own admission, you know, his sons don't even talk to him. So I just thought there had to be a third way. And so that was 20 years ago. I hired an executive coach and I got really focused on this. And it was three steps forward, two steps back, not always perfect. But I've worked hard for the last 20 years to try to find that whole work life balance thing. Is it possible? to really kill it at work, to not, to not what I call it in the book, the ambition break, you know, to to kind of pull back your ambition and settle in your professional career. But on the other hand, not sacrifice your personal priorities, like your health and your family on the altar of your professional ambition. And I think it's absolutely possible.
0: How though? I mean, that's, that's obviously what we want to know. How how do we do this? And of course, Everybody's lives are different, but there's got to be principles. There's got to be things that you know we can start thinking about to help us sort of be able to manage both sides. And is does this mean like they have to be blended together and it's just one, or does this mean instead of saying oh I'll do it in three years, I'll do it in ten years so I can be slower and then have more time for other things? But then how does that affect your goals and your ambitions? There's just so many levels and and layers here where do we even begin to start thinking about okay let's start to manage this thing we call life now
1: yeah well i think it starts in fact it's interesting because the book is subtitled five principles to free yourself from the cult of overwork so it is cult. a principle based approach the cult of overwork and it is kind of a cult i mean it functions for many people like a religion right you know it's it's something that internally validates them and and gives them a sense of identity and a sense of purpose, and importance, and significance, but we've got to get that from other places. And I think that one of the, the foundational principles is to realize that life is multidimensional. It's not just work. You know, that's one spoke in the wheel. But we've got, if you just kind of layer it out, we've got our, our spiritual lives, our emotional lives, our intellectual lives, our financial lives, our physical lives, our marriages if we're married, kids if we've got kids, social life. Our vocation, of course, that's one, one of the 10 that I list in the book. Then there's avocations, hobbies, the things that make life rich and textured, financial life. You know, all those are different dimensions of life. And really, we've, we've got to be like good, balanced portfolio managers. You know, just like if you're investing your money and your financial advisor says, you know, I think we ought to put all the stock into, you know, pick something, Tesla or Apple. That's not a good plan, right? Because that doesn't really set you up for resilience if the market crashes or that particular stock crashes. Same thing is true with our life. We have to plan by taking into account all those different areas. But here's the key thing. Life balance does not mean that we give every one of those dimensions, one of those domains, the same amount of attention, focus, and time. What it means is we give them the appropriate amount of time and attention and focus. And in some seasons that's going to look different in other seasons, but it starts by realizing that there's, there is a life outside of work. And for a lot of people, that's like a new idea or something they've forgotten.
0: Yeah. I love this idea of the appropriate amount of time, attention, effort, et cetera. And like you said, everybody's sort of Pie graph, pie chart is a little bit different, right? And it reminds me all these categories that you mentioned. I'm, I can't help but think of best year ever and the full focus planner and everything else that you have. Like a lot of the stuff carries over here for sure because it's not just about setting business goals, right? It's setting avocational goals, spiritual goals, marital goals, etc., physical health goals, and same thing when it comes to balance or balancing. And so, where does one begin to begin to understand how much is appropriate? How do we are there exercises in the book or, or something that we can there map are. out essentially? Okay, can you, like, wh- what are they like just so we can get an understanding?
1: Yeah, let me tell you where I started and what I recommend that everybody does. And that is embrace constraints. I think the typical American today, and it may be true all over the world, I know you've got an international audience, but constraints are seen seen as something to be avoided. You know, if I can make enough money, if I can be successful enough I won't have any constraints at all. I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want. But constraints actually produce productivity and freedom. So what I did, and I did this in consultation with an executive coach back after I turned that division around, so this would have been about 2003, so about 17, 18 years ago now, he said to me, I want you to establish hard boundaries for when you're going to work. Now, that was a brand new idea for me because the way my day looked is that if I didn't get my work done by mid-afternoon, I was like, I'd kind of look at my watch and i go, well, I'm not gonna finish by the end of the day, but that's no problem. I'll just go home, grab a quick bite to eat with the family, and then I'll sit down with my laptop and I'll finish. And if I don't finish by the end of the day Friday, if I don't finish my work week, then I'll drag it in, I'll go to the office on Saturday morning or I'll work Sunday afternoon, or I would drag it into vacations. There were, there were absolutely no boundaries. So what he encouraged me to do, what he asked me to do is he said, is there a time that you would be willing to quit at the end of the day, every day, and literally not pick it up again until the next morning. And I said, yes, I'm willing to do that because I I, I didn't want to pawn all this off on Gale. I didn't want to have this unbalanced marriage because I could see the trajectory of where it was headed and it wasn't good. And so I said, yeah, 6 p.m. I'll be at the office by nine and I'll quit by six. He said, okay, he said, what about the weekends? I said, I'm willing to not work the weekends. So that was another constraint. And not wor- willing to work vacations. Now, here was the kicker. He said to me, he said, would you give me permission to call Gail on a regular basis, you know, not that regular, but occasionally, and just check up on you? Well, it suddenly got real. <laughs> and so I said, yes, gulp. And, and he did. He followed up with Gail, and he would just have these conversations with her, and he'd said... So how's he doing? You know, and it was was like I was a recovering workaholic. But here's what happened that was amazing. Now, you know, this from personal experience, because if you go on a vacation, that Friday before you leave on vacation for a week is the most productive day of the entire year. Right. Because, you 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 know, the the plane's leaving. It's not going to wait for you. And so you're just like uber productive. You're laser focused, you get your work done. You don't get sidetracked by fake work or busy work or, you know, office chatter. You stay focused and you get it done. That's what happens when you have a hard boundary. Now, can I tell you another story? Please. Yeah. Okay. So I wanna I want to roll forward to the to the pandemic this past year. It's been a crazy year, right? Feels like a decade, but it's only been a year. Yeah. So about the the end of March, so like the pandemic, you know, the lockdowns and all that started about the middle of March. So toward the end of March, we realized that our younger employees, which is basically all of them, young parents, and we have about 40 employees, and they were really struggling because now all of a sudden, no daycare, no childcare, kids are underfoot, they're trying to work, they got all the environmental stress of, you know, the the pandemic, and the economic impact and all the worry that comes from that. And so we said, OK, look, guys, as an experiment, we're going to try to work just nine to three every day. So we're going to work a six hour workday, not an eight hour workday. Now, we'd already been pretty rigorous about enforcing, you know, no email, no Slack messages, no text messages after hours or on weekends. You know, we wanted people to work about eight, eight hours a week or eight sorry, eight hours a day. And so we said, we're going to cut it to six hours a day as an experiment for two weeks. We're not going to dock your pay. Everybody's going to get paid the exact same amount. And then we're going to see how productive we've been. So the goal is to be as productive as we've been, make better choices, do the important stuff, get it done. And then we'll ante up in a couple of weeks and see how it went. After two weeks, got together with my executive team. I said, okay, how are we doing? We can't tell any difference. You know, everything seems to be on track. No slippage, nothing. We said, okay, we went back to the team. We said, hey, good news. Experiment worked. And so we're going to roll it out for the next couple of months. And then we rolled it out through the summer. And then we got to our strategic planning session in September with the executive team. And we said, okay, let's just, we got to really be honest here. Has our productivity slipped or is it still great? And we all said, you know, it's great. And and we were on track to beat our budget. As it turned out for 2020, we doubled what we had done last year in terms of profit. And our revenue was about 50% over the prior year in a pandemic with the team working most of the year, six hours a day. So we made this a permanent benefit or feature of how we do work at Michael and Company. We're just doing 30-hour work weeks. And so, you know, we just wanted to prove for ourselves that you can win at work and succeed at life, which is the title of the book.
0: That's an amazing and courageous experiment because that kind of goes against what most people would think, which is we need more hours, but I think it's this pressure and the constraint that you're creating that forces efficiency. And you have on the other end, a 3 p.m. time where now people can be with their families, can have a lot more room for working on themselves and their mental health, which, which I'm sure is a huge part of this as well, which then can allow them to come back the next day even more excited and, and ready to sort of conquer the day until three. You know, for me, I'd love to ask you because I find that I work best with constraint. But there's many times being an entrepreneur now that I don't need to force a constraint, but I know that when, exa- for example, when I have a deadline or a launch or the team needs something by a certain time, I'm gonna get it done and I usually wait till the very last minute because that's the time where I feel I need to get it done. But I could have done it a month earlier. How do we create this sense of you know a three o'clock or a five o'clock that we have to end or in some cases a deadline to finish a project when there really isn't any consequence if I don't hit that, how do you create a consequence?
1: Well, I think if you have a team, you know, you can create the accountability. And I think it's like, you've got to get a vision for what you're going to do with that non-work time. And I think this is what's missing for so many people. They don't have a vision for that. They can't imagine life without work. And I talk to entrepreneurs all the time. You probably do too. and say, I love my work. You know, for me, work is recreation. You know, I can't imagine anything better than doing more work. But it's a failure of imagination. They just don't have a vision for what lies outside of work. Like one of the things, and I don't know if you know this or not, but I I recently, I, I wrote this daughter, first of all, this book with my oldest daughter, Megan. I made Megan the CEO of my company on January the 2nd of this year. And the reason I could get excited about that succession was because I personally got excited about what was on the other side of that succession. What was on the other side of me not being the CEO? And so that got me really excited. And it made it easy to do that that transition. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs struggle at that level too. But I think it for the non-work stuff, it's the same thing. You know, the truth is, if you have hobbies, you'll be way more interesting, way more focused when you are at work, and more creative. And the and the research backs this up. We we cite a lot of the research in the book, but hobbies are one of the best ways. To expand your thinking, like, you know, as, as we're recording this, we're just on the other side of the Super Bowl. And I was reading about Tom Brady and just about his regimen. Have you studied this at all? I haven't, no. God's crazy. I mean, first of all, he has a very disciplined work day. And talk about constraints. I mean, he gets up at the same time every day. He goes to bed at the same time every day. He gets nine hours sleep every day. But he's constantly involved in things like he plays a game called Brain HQ. And so this is an app. I haven't tried it yet. I want to try it. But he wants to keep his mental faculties sharp because he realizes that as a quarterback, he's got like three seconds to look downfield, identify a receiver, and make the call and get the ball to him. And that takes mental acuity. And so he wants to keep his brain sharp. So that just doesn't happen by accident. I gave a whole talk the other day about Brady. You know, success is not an accident. It's something that he has programmed in to get back to your question, I think, I think you got to get a vision for this non work related stuff. So then you're, it's easier to set aside the work and go, like for me, you were talking before we got on, you know, I love bass fishing and I'm really into bass fishing right now. And I mean, I'm, I'm so serious about it that, you know, I'm hiring guides and, you know, I've got, I'm um, not
0: surprised, dude. I'm so not (laughs) surprised by that.
1: So I got a, a bass lure of the month club, you know, where they send me a box every month, all this stuff. But so I'm, so I'm looking for, I mean, I love my work, but I also like, I look forward to the weekends and being at the lake where I can fish.
0: That makes perfect sense because I know a lot of people who they have a work day that ends, but it doesn't really end because there's nothing really to look forward to. They're just going to watch Netflix or, you know, eat junk food or, or what have you versus also planning, not just what your work day is like, but what your play day is going to be like after. And I think that's actually a very, very, So it's almost like a reward for yourself. Do do you consider it like a reward? If I finish this, then I finish that. Or is it more, I'm going to do my best at work. And when that's done, no matter what, even if I did poorly, I'm still going to enjoy and have that constraint.
1: Well, part of it is I set my work day up in a certain way. So I only have three things that I got to get done every day. So this is built into our full focus planner, but the daily big three. And so one of the things we learned, this was a couple of books back when we were doing some research, we discovered that. Our average client who uses a task list has 15 items on the task list before they begin the day. So 15 items that they feel like they got to get done today. Now their master task list may be hundreds of items, but 15 for today. So most people look at that a list like that, they know they're not gonna finish and they're overwhelmed, right? And so even if they get eight of the 15 done, more than half, they go to bed with seven of them left unfinished and they feel defeated. So if you bookend your days with overwhelm and defeat, how do you show up for your team? How do you show up for your family when you get home? I mean, it's just it's just like a the, the game is rigged against you. So let's just reinvent it. So if, if Preto's law is true, you know, the 20% of the effort drives 80% of the result and works in all kinds of things, then 20% of those 15 are probably going to drive 80% of the results that you need to be generating. So obviously 20% of 15 is three. So I try to pick the three most high leverage tasks that I can do every day. Sometimes that takes me 6 hours, sometimes that takes me 4 hours. You know, sometimes it in 2 hours I can get it knocked out. But I declare victory when I get those 3 done. And anything else I get done cuz I can have other items on my list, too. They're just not the big 3. Anything else is gravy. So what that does is it means when I quit at 3, I'm feeling successful. I'm feeling like I bagged the day. I got done what I needed to do. And if I do that, Day in, day out, every day, five days a week, you know, 52 weeks a year, excluding vacations and sabbaticals and all the rest. I can build a business doing that.
0: What do you do at 3 p.m.?
1: Usually I go and sit down and debrief with Gail. So I've been married for 42 years. You've met Gail. You've spent time with her. Love her. So, you know, we just sit down, have a cup of tea, just chat about the day. And then we kind of go, you know, go our separate ways till dinner. You know, she made right now she's working on a puzzle and I'm doing some reading but then we get together, we we do enjoy watching TV together. So right now we're working through Ken, what is his name? The guy that did the Civil War and did the Vietnam one.
0: I don't know. Anyway. But it sounds interesting. <laughs> it's on PBS. It's fantastic. Thank you for that. I want to ask you, there's a quote from Mike Tyson. Everybody has a plan till they get punched in the face or punched in the mouth. And a lot of times when we create these plans and we read books like this, and so we're like, okay, we're gonna do this. We're gonna, we're gonna create the, the balance sheet and, and understand our allocation for time and energy and such. And then of course, life happens, things happen, and it doesn't always go according to plan. And that could either be taken in as a, um, well, this didn't work for me, or just you know, the world's against me. How do you bounce back when maybe it doesn't go according to plan or you have an off day and it's just feeling like this balancing is, is still just a myth for us?
1: Well, I think there is the reality of seasons. You're launching a product. You're trying to finish out that book you're writing. You're starting a new business, whatever it is, getting the graduate degree, whatever it may be. There are seasons when you go out of balance. I have no problem with that. What I do have a problem with is people drifting into that unconsciously. As long as it's conscious and you say, like, I, I might sit down with, with Gail like I did a few weeks ago. And I was trying to get a webinar finished and it just wasn't going well. The first pass didn't work. And I was going to have to work through the weekend because the webinar was already scheduled. And so I just sat down and I said, look, we need to negotiate something. I need to work through the weekend. I don't see any other way to get it done. Are you okay with that? And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. But it didn't become a permanent feature of our lives. Here's where people get in trouble. And I did this for years. It was one emergency after another emergency after another emergency, after another emergency, and I was convinced each one was temporary, but strung together like pearls, you know, on a string, it was a way of life. It had become permanent. I, I told Gail, I, you know, as soon as I get acclimated to this new position, then I'll I'll get back into balance and give you and the girls the time you deserve. And then somebody would quit, and I'd say, well, once I get this position filled, because right now I'm I'm working for two. Once I get this position filled, then I'll snap back into balance and I'll give you and the girls the time you deserve. But the problem is we deceive ourselves into thinking those situations are temporary. And if we're not careful, they become a way of life. They become permanent. Then we wake up and that's why people wake up and they have a health crisis or, you know, a marital crisis or their kids are off the rails or something else. And that's what we want to avoid. We can sustain those trips and falls as long as they're occasional. And honestly, it happens to me still, like I just shared. But but it's okay. We're playing the long game and we're looking for the trajectory of, of where it's all going.
0: How would you offer advice to a couple that has their work-life balance down pat? They are finishing work at three and they're conversing in the night and their beautiful relationship and they want to have a kid now. And then all of a sudden, kid comes around. It's crazy. It's insane. Everything is thrown off a loop. Kids waking up at all hours of the day. I'm getting no sleep. Everything just seems out of whack. I remember what that was like because it actually wasn't that long ago. And, you know, I got through it. And I think that's one thing that's helped me is just knowing that it wasn't going to be like that forever. But what advice would you offer for those who purposefully almost get thrown for a loop in this way? And for example, have a kid.
1: Yeah, I would say that that's that's just part of life. You know, be kind to yourself. Realize that it will pass. I mean, you you face this, and I face this myself. You know, going through raising five daughters, but it'll pass. And and that's where I think we have to to remember the the, the best metaphor I can think of for balance. It's like walking a tightrope. You know, you're constantly out of balance, and you're constantly having to adjust your weight and move to stay in balance. And the same thing is true. You know, in those high demand periods of our life where it may take a little bit more effort to stay on the tightrope and you may fall off a little more frequently, but that's okay. You know, it's, it's a worthy endeavor and it's, and it's worth it and it's not going to be forever.
0: That's a great answer. Thank you. Now, Megan, one of your daughters has co-written this book with you. I'd love to know a little bit more about how that actually worked. How, do you, how did you both write the book together and also speak to what it's been like to, in fact, include your kids within your business? And was that something they were already interested in or was it like, because that's awesome. Like, I would love if, you know, my kids and I continue to work together into the future. I've seen all of your family together and just how much of a bond you have. And that's, that's, that's one of the reasons, one of the many, why I admire you for what you've built there as a family. But I'd love just to have you speak to what it's been like to work with your kids and specifically with Megan. What was this book like to work, work on together?
1: Well, it really grew out of our mutual philosophy. We both had a deep-seated conviction about this. She tells her story in the book too. And when I hired her, which was now about seven years ago, She was working as the marketing director for a nonprofit school that focused on racial reconciliation here in the Franklin, Tennessee area where we live. And so she and her husband, shortly after she came to work for me, and she was just working kind of as a contractor initially, and then I wanted her to come on as the COO, but she had just adopted two kids from Uganda, both of them having special needs. And she said, dad, the only way that I'm willing to do this is that if I can work 9 to 3. So she was kind of the early pioneer in this. She said because I want to be the mom who's picking up my kids after school. You know, I don't want them having to find another way home and us having to figure that out. I want to be there when they come home. And she has five kids. So I said, "Sure." I said, "Let's try it." I said, "I don't I don't really care how much time you put in the seat. I really care about the the results. That's all." So, I mean, it's been a dream come true, honestly. You know, it's she first started working with me. The first job she ever did with me, she was like 17, but she would go to trade shows with me when she was eight. Wow. So you know I just I just took her to different business things and she kind of learned the language of business and I taught her things like you know how to give a firm handshake and look the other person in the eye and use their name and be respectful and all that kind of stuff. And you know, she's just kind of grown up around it and grown up with the philosophy and, and Gail and I are both very verbal. You know, I talk about work with the family. I talk about it with at home and Gail or Megan and I have to be very careful about that now. So the other girls don't feel left out. But then my youngest daughter, Marissa, is also working in the business. She's the director of marketing for our full focus product line. So, yeah, it's good. You know, I think it works well in a family, in a family business, if your relationships are healthy, if your relationships are not healthy outside of work, work is only going to amplify it and make it worse. If you have good, strong, healthy relationships outside of work, then inside of work, it's not an issue. You know, we're at the point where, you know, we've worked so much together that we can practically complete one another's sentences. And, you know, she's just, I don't know, I just, I just really admire her. I think she's a better leader than I am. I think she's more focused than I am. And I'm just, I'm, I'm loving this season of my life where I get to be sort of the chairman of our company and take a step back and cheer her on.
0: That's epic. Well, congratulations to you and what you've and and, and together with with your entire family, really. I've come to really love your family and we've spent a lot of time together before and I can't wait till we can get back on the river or the lake again very shortly here, hopefully. One thing that I know doesn't help us when it comes to balancing all these things in our lives that we need to balance is this thing that we entrepreneurs call bright light syndrome or squirrel syndrome. There's always a new opportunity. There's always a new thing to say yes to. And oftentimes we say yes because who knows if that opportunity is going to be around uh, in the future. How do you tackle this urge for us to keep trying new things and scratching all of the itches?
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, you're speaking my language because I suffer from that same malady. You know, I, I have a gazillion ideas a week. But the thing that's helped me more than anything is having... A really healthy team, an executive team, particularly. And this is something I think you have to do as a leader. You have to create a culture where it's safe for dissent, where people can push back against your ideas and speak to you kind of almost as a peer. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve the final veto vote. I mean it's my company, right? Right. <laughs> but but at the same time, man, I want people to say something to me. Like I like I was just having this question with Chad Cannon, one of our our chief sales officer. And I was saying, Chad, I, I don't know about continuing to do webinars. I think we need to like do something else. And here's this idea. So I presented to him a whole idea. He said, no, I don't, I don't think that's, he said, I think we need to stick to webinars. They're doing great. They're doing better than you think. You're just bored. Go back and find something else to do. <laughs> well, I love that. You know, I love that kind of pushback because it gives me perspective and you know, there's, there's real safety in numbers, mm-hmm. right? You know, there's this, there's this Bible verse that I love. It says in a multitude of counselors, there is safety, but it's up to you as the entrepreneur as the leader to put together the multitude of counselors or the people that you're going to give permission to speak into your life. And so that keeps me focused. And I know that, you know, whenever I have some idea, that's going to have an impact on our resources as a company, time of the team, capital, you know, all the focus, all the other things. So, We work on, you know, a system where we do two-week sprints. And so what the team says to me today, and I've given them permission to say this, if I come up with an idea or something I want to do, they say, oh, that sounds interesting. We'll put it in the backlog for consideration in the future. Now, I'm sure if I said to them, no, I want to do this this week, they would move heaven and earth to make it happen this week. But hopefully by now, by my age, I've got at least enough wisdom to say, that probably wouldn't be good for the organization. I need to listen to the team.
0: Right. (laughs) What if you don't have a team? What if you're a solopreneur? How might you go find people to help bring that kind of perspective?
1: Well, this is where there's a huge value. And I know you're a big proponent of this too, but masterminds, you know, having a group of peers that can hold your feet to the fire. Yes, but also keep you focused on what you really want, you know, because a lot of times we choose things that in the moment we want, but they're not long-term what we want. You know, we choose comfort now, you know, over progress for later. And I like, I think Brene Brown says something like, choose discomfort now because it'll go better later. And I think that's that's exactly right. You know, there's there's sometimes we just need to have the discipline and it can come, you know, honestly, my wife Gail is a fantastic accountability partner. I know not everybody has that. And for some people that would not be good for their marriage. But for me it works. You know, Gail holds me accountable. My daughters hold me accountable. But a peer group that you create for yourself, I think Every entrepreneur should be very intentional about that, getting into mastermind or creating a group for themselves of people that can you know, just keep them focused.
0: Thank you. We'll put some resources in these show notes specifically for masterminds that we've had in our library for a while. So thank you for queuing that up for us, Michael. And I wanna ask you about the book. Where can we get the book? Who is it for?
1: This book is for every business owner, entrepreneur, or really leader of any kind who finds themselves just working nonstop and feels like there's got to be an alternative. They're, They're tired of looking their spouse in the eyes and saying, honey, I'm sorry. I hope I can do better in the future and not feeling like they can get any traction. They just feel like they're stuck. Because this book presents a model for really having the double win where you don't have to sacrifice your professional ambition. I haven't. But at the same time, you're not sacrificing your health or your family on the altar of your ambition. But you can find the book. We've got a webpage called winandsucceedbook.com, winandsucceedbook.com. And if you go to forward slash SPI, then all you have to do is take your receipt there. We've got some cool bonuses, but one of them is called the Double Win Cheat Sheet, which is basically takes the five principles of the book and fleshes it out in an infographic so that you can pin this somewhere to remind you of what you're ultimately after the
0: double win. Excellent. And one more time, Amazon would be the best place for you. What would be most supportive?
1: Yep. Amazon. If you go to the win and succeed book.com forward slash SPI, that'll have links to all the major retailers, but yeah, Amazon everywhere where better books are sold.
0: So good. Michael, thank you so much. Stick around with me because we're going to have you chat for our backstage pass listeners in just a minute, but everybody definitely please follow and check out Michael Hyatt in the new book with Megan and we'll have all the links in the show notes for you. Michael, thank you so much for your time today. Always a pleasure. Thank you, Pat. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Michael Hyatt. Again, you can find him in his new book with his co-author and his daughter, Megan, over at winandsucceedbook.com slash SPI. All the Michael Hyatt books that I've read have been absolutely life-changing and I think that this one could be the most life-changing. Of course, I've been a big fan of Best Year Ever and I've taken his course every single year. He has his full focus planner. He's just doing anything and everything that he can to talk about all the aspects of life that may be a drag and to learn how to navigate that, including books about working with people in meetings to now books about having that balance that we're all looking for. So com slash SPI. And if you want the show notes and other links and resources mentioned in this episode, you can go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 475. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 475. Thank you so much. Looking forward to seeing you in the next episode. Make sure you hit subscribe if you haven't already. And as always, take care and team Flynn for the win. Peace out. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at smartpassiveincome.com. I'm your host, Pat Flynn. Sound design and editing by Paul Gregoris. Our senior producer is Sarah Jane Hess. Our series producer is David Grabowski. And our executive producer is Matt Gartland. The Smart Passive Income Podcast is a production of SPI Media. We'll catch you in the next session.